0: Welcome to the Dare to Move podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and I'm not your life coach, just a girl who never gives up. Happy Wednesday, guys. I hope you're having an awesome day so far, whether you are driving on your way to work or you're like me and you're up on your way to your morning workout, or maybe it's nighttime. Maybe it's not even Wednesday. Anyway, I appreciate you listening wherever you are. And for the record... I listen to podcasts while I shower, while I do my makeup, and in the car. I find it so stimulating. Nevertheless, today we have an incredible guest. She is an NBC 10 newscaster. Her name is Joy Lim Nackrin and we are so lucky to have her. The inner journalist in me is totally stoked to know more about what it's like to live a day in the life, but you guys she is not your average newscaster. She is Very unique because she has an international background. She was a host on ESPN and MTV Asia. She starred in a reality show in Malaysia, is of Chinese, Filipino, and Jewish descent, has a Duke Law degree, and she's an emerging leader in Boston for women in media, animal rights, and Asian American issues. She's a board member of the Asian American Journalists Association of New England as well. So she's doing a lot of stuff this month of May because it is asian american heritage month she's hosting the boston chinatown neighborhood center's 50th anniversary gala on may 30th at the intercontinental hotel so if that interests you let me know her contact info is also in the show notes you can get more info on that you guys there's a lot going on in may for her so follow her on social again her stuff is in the show notes she's going to mention it in the podcast as well and one of the most interesting things i found about this Besides just all of her life experience, is that she I'm not gonna give too much away. I'm gonna only tell you one thing, and it's at the end. Who she's inspired by inspired me. Because I thought, man, that's who I should be looking to, that type of a person. She's super relatable, and I really just hope that you guys gain as much as I did from doing this interview. And if you obviously you can't see her, we did not video record this. This is all audio, but You guys you've probably seen her before because she was on fox 25 in boston and now she's on nbc 10 as mentioned so you might actually know her face or feel like you know her i always feel like newscasters are like just a part of my life because they're always on in the background i grew up with the news always on in the background so anyway i'm thankful to be the background noise in your life today i hope that you gain some wisdom from joy Thank you so much to Joy Lemnachren for coming on. And you guys, without further ado, here is Joy. Joy, we are in Wellesley at the Public Library. This is kind of a random but fun place. So thanks for coming in. How are you? Thanks for being with me. It's fun to be here with you. Yeah, it's a good, I like doing these on Fridays because it's kind of a nice way to end the week.
1: I agree. It's just relaxed and. And just fun
0: yeah this is gonna be really fun and my listeners know that i usually start with a quote so today we are going to start with a quote that i'm going to read because it's a little bit long and these two quotes actually spoke to me based on your diverse background and uh your activism across many platforms and actually countries. So it's really exciting to talk to you today. And the first quote is, I think the importance of doing activist work is precisely because it allows you to give back and to consider yourself not as a single individual who may have achieved whatever, but to be a part of an ongoing historical movement by Angela Davis. Tell me how that speaks to you. Like, how does it hit you? What does activism mean to you? Well, you know, I have to
1: say, first of all, that when you said activism, And me, in the same sentence, I'm like, me? An activist? (laughs) Because I don't think of myself that way, but I do think of myself as somebody who, you know, who serves the community. I do see that as my role as a journalist. But I think that one of the reasons why I really love NBC, I love the company I work for, is that I think our company is really committed to serving the community. So, for me, a lot of what that means is going out there and showing my support to causes that I think are important, you know, such as rescue animals. I love rescue animals. I have three rescue dogs myself. You know, I'm passionate about serving underserved communities. So, you know, my family, Asian American ancestry, so you know, I, I get invited to be at a lot of events and be kind of a spokesperson for various causes in those multiple Asian American communities. And it's really an honor to be able to do that, tell the stories, especially during the month of May, which is Asian American Heritage Month. I feel like, look, if I'm not going to share these stories that often aren't told, then who's going to do it? And that's what I should be doing.
0: I love that you said sharing the stories, otherwise they won't be told because that's Honestly, I'm relating because this is why I podcast, telling the stories that I think should be told too, and letting people have the opportunity to do that. So I love that you said that. The second quote is, the activist is not the man who says the river is dirty. The activist is the man who cleans up the river. And that was Ross Perot. How does that one speak to you?
1: Well, you know, when you put it that way, it makes me feel like, hmm, maybe I am an activist. And I think that we can all be activists because you can't clean up a dirty river alone, right? And you can't make a society or a world or a city that has problems better just by yourself. But you can definitely do your part. And I think, you know, being out there in the community at community events, one of the things I really enjoy is the synergy. So meeting. Like minded people who have a similar passion about whatever it is we're doing that day. So, for instance, I told you later this month, I'm going to be emceeing and running in the MSPCA Fast and Furious Fun Run, which is, you know, raising money towards Mm -hmm. animal shelters and animal rights groups. So, that's one of the things I'm passionate about. But getting out there to events like that and meeting all these other you know dog fanatics yeah. like me and just people who want to make the world better in this way that's always really fun and and I find that around new england and and pretty much everywhere in the world that I've been you can look and find people who want to leave the world a better place than they left it and when you you meet people like that i think it's important that you 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 take those opportunities to share that synergy collaborate with them
0: and and just do your part now i have a typical second question but i can't ask it yet because you just made me think of something and you talk about community and going out in the community and in today's world we aren't as reliant upon talking to the person on the park bench or talking to the person at the bus stop because we're all kind of in our own little worlds with our phones. So, and you, you are, we're both here in Boston. You're not from Boston. So my quick question before my stereotypical second question is, what has it been like for you trying to break into a community and really be active in that when you're not from here? Because I had a hard time.
1: You know, I think that's an excellent question. And I think a lot of people, you know, struggle with just trying to find that sense of home and, and belonging. And for me, I mean, you you know, you, you raised, raised it that I, I, I didn't grow up here. So I actually grew up in rural North Carolina and my mother's side of the family immigrated from the Philippines and we were kind of fresh off the boat immigrants when we were living in rural North Carolina. And so when my parents actually relocated to Boston, a lot of my extended family, including grandparents and aunts and uncles, all came to Boston back in 1998. So for me, that was that kind of made it, it home. home. You know what they say home is where your mom is, home is yeah. where your family is. But, you know, over the years, they were able to build some kind of sense of community and, and, and find friends here and so forth. And so over time, how I made it my goal to eventually come back and work in the Boston market and make this my home. So I um, eventually came here in 2013, working okay. for Fox 25 news at this time, and then, you know. Made the switch to NBC in 2016 and it's been great.
0: Well, that actually brings me kind of to the second question. So, a lot of the people that I interview have a title at their job, their company, the company maybe they started or whatever. And I always ask them if you're sitting on a plane and someone says to you, What do you do? How do you answer? Because oftentimes it's not the same as maybe their job title says or maybe they don't like to talk about it. So, tell us, you know, what do you do?
1: So, you know, I, I usually just say that I'm a journalist, hmm. and you know, of course, that tends to spark a lot of other questions, <laughs> and it, and of course, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of follow up with that. But yeah, I, I usually just say that I'm a journalist, and if they want to ask more, they can, and <laughs> sometimes they do. But I I'm a little wary sometimes of even opening up the door because I find that in today's political discourse. Sometimes there's a lack of civility, and and it's 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 been heated in recent years. And and one thing I just always try to communicate is that as a journalist, I I really just strive to just fair and balance. be fair and balanced, <laughs> be objective, and just share the story. And it's not my place to judge.
0: I think that's a really great answer. And I actually hadn't really thought about how that could be kind of a controversial thing to bring up on a plane. You know, you never know how pol- politics are gonna strike somebody Mm. so i can imagine so let's talk about speaking of you know building community finding community in different places you've lived in a lot of different places and i'm assuming it's your career that kind of took you all around so talk to us about maybe where you started in journalism so yeah, partly my career,
1: but partly the fact that I did not know what I was going to do with my life. Oh, frankly. thank you for saying mm-hmm. that. I don't
0: think enough, like a lot of people feel that way oh, yeah. and need to know that a lot of people have also felt that way and then found their way. Yeah.
1: And I think that it's okay to be unsure about things, you mm-hmm. know, and to take the time to figure things out. And, you know, it sounds cheesy, but they say life is a journey. And, and it really is. For me, so I actually, you know, went to Duke Law School. You you and I talked about this mm-hmm. before we started recording. And, you know, so after, going, after growing up in rural North Carolina, went to college in Pennsylvania, Haverford College, went back to North Carolina for law school, you know, at Duke. And, you know, by my third year of law school, I think it was pretty clear to me that I probably was not going to practice law. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that going into law school or I wouldn't have started it. Yeah, that's interesting. But after all the time and money I'd spent, I thought, okay, well, I better finish this. And then my mother said, and you better get your bar certificate too. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay. She was like, you are
0: finishing what you started yes yes and so at that time that's a good lesson though to finish what you start yeah no she
1: was right she was right you know i didn't agree with her but i did what she said because she's my mother and she helped me pay for it so yeah (laughs) but yeah so i did i i became a bar certified attorney got my license here in massachusetts because that's where my family was from but i knew in my gut oh this doesn't feel like it's for me so I kind of had what I call my quarter life crisis. I was 24 when I became yeah. a bar certified <laughs> attorney, and I basically at the time when I was in law school, I had done a couple side jobs. You know, I I sold some real estate part time, amazing. And I, I did some modeling gigs on the side. This is a long time ago.
0: Triple you know. threat portfolio <laughs> lifestyle. I well, love it. <laughs> so
1: I and I in law school is so rigorous and so so much work, and I thought in my head that if i did if i took a year off and, and did modeling it would be fun and dif- completely different from what i knew of mm-hmm. you know of law and and i had worked for law firms while in law school doing clerkships and so forth so i ended up getting an opportunity to spend a year in asia on modeling contract and during that time i was in singapore hong kong and malaysia and basically that was the period of my life where I ended up getting into television news, not exactly on purpose. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I, crazy story, but yeah. So I was doing these modeling gigs in in, in these various countries I mentioned, and then ended up on a reality show and then ended up doing guest hosting on MTV Asia and... Were you
0: speaking other languages or was this all in English?
1: So this was predominantly in English. I do speak some basic Mandarin, a dialect of um, Southern Chinese, Fujian or Hokkien Chinese. Well, as that's little, helpful. Yeah. Very little Tagalog, the Filipino language, but you know, none of them are broadcast quality. So it's,
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> not, not yeah. I'm sure um, it helped in your living there.
1: But you know, the, but it's amazing. I mean, the, the large Asian cities, especially. I mean, you have people from all over the world, and so there is a market for English programming. And so, after doing kind of these freelance TV things and the modeling, I actually got my first real television job working for ESPN Asia in Singapore, Mm. and I was in the English Broadcasting Department, which was newer for them. They were trying to grow it. And I was very lucky because they were looking for people who were ethnically Asian but native speakers of English, and they wanted more women and the most. And important. you were just appeared. And I, I, I <laughs> you was were there, and, and you know, and soccer—the one sport that I would say I really am really like an expert in because I played soccer. They that was what was most important to them. So, like, oh my gosh, yeah. So I kind of lucked out, and they kind of groomed me and taught me, you know, basically TV journalism.
0: Wow. So what was... Was that like a two-year period, three-year yeah, period? Okay. Yeah. Well, it was three years in all that I was in Asia. The first
1: year was primarily the modeling and freelance stuff. And then the last two years, I was with ESPN Asia. And that's kind of wow. what kind of laid the groundwork for me to do what I'm doing now.
0: Wow. And I have to just highlight for a second the fact that you were saying, you know, 24-ish, I'm having a quarter-life crisis, which... I had one. I think all of my best girlfriends have had one. I think pretty much everyone could say that they had a moment in their 20s when everything's really not okay, but you were not okay with a bar certificate. you know. And that's so ironic, I think, to a lot of people because it's seen as this really high achievement. And I just think that that's really remarkable that, thank you for sharing, first of all, but that you were able to own your feelings enough to like, let your passion guide you elsewhere. Well, you know, I don't know, I,
1: thank you. I think you're giving me too much credit, but but no, I, you know, at some point it did, I did definitely start to feel, okay, well, I invested all this time and energy into studying law. And you know, and I and I went through this period where I was like, "Well, why did I do that? What is it that drove me to that?" And and then I started to realize, well, I loved writing, I loved reading, mm. I I loved public speaking, the moot court it's aspect, a huge part of it, yeah. And I had most importantly a really strong sense of justice, right and wrong, and and that's ultimately what made me say, you know, what I'm, I think news might be, you mm. know, that I can I could be a journalist. Those are the Those are the things I'm passionate about, and that's what it takes in my opinion to to be a good journalist.
0: So I have to ask you, from the jump of figuring that out, and you mentioned this reality show, you know, I've watched reality shows. I actually had applied in 2016 to be on one and a lot of that process was really scary because they asked they asked me, at least in my experience, some really deep questions because they want to pull out, you know, your things in the back of your deep darkest secret closet, whatever. And I ult- ultimately, the show never made it or wasn't funded. And I would love to know what that experience was like for you. Was it a, was it like it is as raw and crazy as, as it is now?
1: Or? Oh, well, you know what? It was really before the internet exploded. So no, it wasn't. And also, I mean, this was like 2005, five, six, So I mean, no. I I don't think reality TV. I think like it was a good TV's experience. Changed. Yeah, that's and, so good. And also, you know, it was this the reality show was actually done in Malaysia, which is. It's a Muslim. It's a predominantly Muslim country that was more conservative, so that we didn't, you didn't see all the racy stuff that you mm. see on, like, Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty harmless, and it was just for one season. Good, good experience.
0: It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. A good you probably got used to being on camera. Yeah. Yeah. Which we will get into, and and so then when you go to work for ESPN and you're doing what you, you said, soccer, mm-hmm. when you. Were there? Did you think for any time that okay, I might go down the sports alley, or did you really start to think, okay, I like being on camera, I like interviews, I want to do the news?
1: You know, i I think I, I was already starting to see that mm-hmm. I would like to get into hard news because it was fun. Absolutely, yeah. It was fun in you know my early twenties. But I mean, I feel I felt like I wanted to, and I look, I give sportscasters a lot of credit, but for me, I felt like I wanted to. To really tell people's stories beyond that, and then with the law background, you know, I felt like I wanted to get into covering just, for instance, social social policy, Mm. politics, you know, and honestly, there 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 are a lot of disturbing crimes that we that we unfortunately have to cover, but we need to inform the community about in news, and then we follow the cases and. So just kind of over time, I started to realize this could be a really natural fit for me. And there was this other piece of television news where sometimes when you're not just covering news of the day, you get to enterprise stories and be kind of a voice for the voiceless and and tell the untold story. So that was another aspect of doing hard news that really appealed to me that I felt like was what drew me to law because at the end of the day, you know, I'm not a confrontational person. I don't like conflict. I don't like arguing. And even though I had the right intentions, I think to go into law, it really wasn't for me.
0: So, what was the first thing that you did? What was the fir- talk us through your first job in news and maybe some challenges that you faced. So, after ESPN
1: Asia, You know and living in asia for three years in my early 20s i decided that i needed to come back home to new england because my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer so Mm -hmm. i wanted to help you know my family take care of him at the time i wasn't able to get a job in boston because it's a major market and i Mm need more experience so I ended up going to Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut, working for the Fox station there, and I would work overnights, producing a newscast, a 4:30 a.m. newscast. So I'd come in probably 11 p.m., maybe midnight, depending, and it, the, the newscast would air at 4:30, and then I would anchor for an hour, and then I would do in studio reports for the rest of the show until 9 a.m. So it oh was, my gosh. yeah, it was a like, hustle. It was, it was like it was a grueling, grueling shift, but you know, it gave me the opportunity to number one, be close to my family and help take care of my, my grandfather's, like an hour plus drive, hour mm-hmm. 15 from Hartford to um, the Boston area. And number two, get real news experience, you know, learning everything all at once, producing the reporting, anchoring, and just really honing, honing my skills and the pay was not good not good at all really? trust me yeah oh. but you know what it was it was the it was the experience mm-hmm. and, and the, you know the location all that stuff and it was worth it
0: and what was the hardest part for you or maybe even like talk to us about the hardest and maybe the most enjoyable part like did you find yourself challenged by the production part or the being an anchor well i think i think
1: all of it and i think that looking back Gosh, that was more than ten years ago when I was doing that job. Looking back now, you know that's that was really some of the best training I could have gotten because you, you kind of have to do all of it,
0: understand it, yeah, yeah.
1: And even today, I mean, I I produce some of my own segments. You know, where I come up with the story ideas and and write the content and you know come up with the visual elements mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And you know, you in this day and age, you can't be an anchor that just reads a teleprompter. You have to be able to copy, edit, write at times. And if there's breaking news, more importantly, be there. Yeah, ad lib, just ad lib, be able to take just a, a dense amount of information and new information and turn it into a script quickly. quickly. Yeah. And what and, and you don't I mean, without writing the script, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're giving the information as you're learning it. Yeah. And recapping the information you have gathered and that producer training and reporter training i mean that's that's where you get that ability
0: wow it sounds like you had a really good experience and you got a lot of reps under your belt talk to us about what maybe what it was like seeing yourself on TV. I mean, you had seen yourself on TV with the reality show and you'd done ESPN. So you could even start back there, but a lot of successful people I've heard, even singers don't like the sound of their own voice and or seeing themselves on TV. And um, off, off the podcast, you had said, you know, the makeup is so heavy. And so talk to us about, yeah. you know, maybe how that's affected your body image or your your vision of yourself. Those are all valid points. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I can certainly understand what they're saying.
1: And yeah, there are definitely times when I watch myself. I don't watch myself, you know. It's not like I sit there and watch, go back and watch, watch my newscast or something. But, yeah, you know, there are times when I do see replays and stuff like that or I'll hear my, my voice playing back. And I always is like, I'm always like, there's something I don't like, you know, about the way I said something or my uh, voice or, you know, the way I look or whatever. So yeah, I think, I think it's human nature. I think okay. we all have that. I yeah. mean, I think most people, they look at their picture, they're like, I don't like this or that. Yeah. They hear their own voicemail. And they're
0: like, oh, that sounds yeah. just not how, how
1: it sounds in my head.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's just, it, it actually, I thought of that when I, you know, was going to interview you because. I have days where I'm like, wow, I look good today. Or like my makeup mm. looks good. But then there's days where I'm working from home. Like most of my time is spent at home, maybe in comfortable clothes. Some days I don't even put makeup on or like brush my hair. I mean, maybe I brush my hair, but you know, I'm not on camera every day of the work week. And I just feel like it would be a lot of pressure, but you seem to handle it very well and to have a really healthy mindset towards it.
1: Oh, that. thanks. I try my
0: best. <laughs> yeah, You know, no, I, well, I try my best. What, 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 I'm that you said that. <laughs> no, no, you look really, really great. And I just, I had to ask because I just wonder when I see people that are constantly showing up and you know, doing something that's public, you know, you're in the public eye every day. Well, you know,
1: I think at some point along the way, you kind of learn to have a separation. So, which is, you know, like I said to you, gosh, I wear so much makeup on television. You know, I don't know that it's just that me naturally, I don't don't really like to wear makeup. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, but everyone there's work, and on. then there's yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're separating the two. You no, know, I mean, yeah, you know, on on television, you know, everyone has to wear some makeup. The male anchors are wearing makeup too, so it's like you know, it's yeah. <laughs> it's par for the course. So I think, yeah, there is that separation. And I look at it like in a way. That's my, like if you work at McDonald's, you wear a McDonald's uniform, Ex- oh, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. So I, I kind of look at it that way. So I'm at work. Okay. Uh-huh. I put on my, you know, NBC, yeah. NECN uniform and we actually do have, you know, an appearance consultant that kind of helps you oh, wow. learn how to do your makeup and your hair
0: and- So they don't do it for and you.
1: Clothes. Oh no, they don't do it for you. Really? Okay. <laughs> you know?
0: so you That's to- one of the biggest
1: myths about really? TV news. <laughs> no, I mean, Savannah Guthrie, yes, but I'm not yeah. Savannah Guthrie, clearly.
0: So. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but so yeah. You really have to like learn that. And yeah, you do learn. Learn what looks good and for camera purposes. Yeah, and I
1: think it is very subjective. I, every company, you know, NBC has a different style than Fox and there were clothes that, you know, when I worked for Fox that that management liked and and they didn't work for NBC. You know, the, just a kind of different image for NBC and New England like Cable News. And that's fine and and some of the outfits that I wear on air. I am not hanging out on my living room couch in clearly. (laughs) And that's fine. But that's, you know, I think most folks, I think any, any person can relate to that. Yeah. That separation. Yeah. They have their work, work wardrobe and
0: their weekend wardrobe. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. So talk to us about the various things that you care about, because, you know, a lot of the people I talk to on this podcast have some Iteration of a por- portfolio lifestyle. It's what I like to say I have, where I have real estate, I have my online business, I do multiple things, and it all kind of creates this like work lifestyle. So for you, you you are very active in the community and for all these causes. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Because it sounds like your day job is pretty demanding. So how do you find time for it? How do you balance it all? Like let's let's hear about it.
1: Well, so you know, this is I guess what I call kind of synergy or synchronicity. And and maybe the word is harmony. Mm. So I am truly passionate about my job. And I'm truly passionate about, you know, any of the causes that you see me supporting. And, you know, when you see me emceeing an event, it's because I'm passionate about it. So
0: it does really feel
1: like work. You know what um, I mean. So, like I told you, I'm. I'll be at the MSPCA Fast and Furious Fun Run. I'm seeing that running I'll, I'll be doing speaking at an Asian American Women's Mental Health Forum later this month. I'll be emceeing the Boston Chinatown Neighborhood Center uh, 50th Anniversary Gala later this month, and I have several Filipino Independence Day events coming up. But these are things that it's. It's like I feel so honored to be part of these things, and I feel honestly when I. When I go to these events, I feel really inspired by other people. I feel like it gives me energy, you know?
0: Oh, that's so important. And I think that's really good for the listeners to hear too, because if you haven't been active in any way, you might think of it as work or something that's going to take energy but it sounds like quite the opposite.
1: Well, I think it depends. I think if it's something that you're genuinely passionate about. Okay, like I'm looking out this window and it's kind of a rainy day here Mm -hmm. in Wellesley. So I'm looking at some trees. My mother, for instance, she loves plants. I can't tell you what any of those trees are. <laughs> so if you took me to a, like a, an event about trees, I yeah. just wouldn't really. It feel would probably it. feel like work for yeah, me. Yeah, okay. But, but like when it comes to like I said, animals, or rescue dogs. certain causes, it's just like I feel energized. I get excited to be there. I love hearing the other people, you know, to talk about their experiences and and also it's just it just kind of. It, it kind of brings everything home because you know when when I go to work every day and I'm putting together news stories or uh, and delivering news stories and I'm looking at this blank camera at, I don't know what's on the other side. And I always wonder, what is the other person thinking? What are the viewers thinking when they see our stories? Mm. And do they feel like we, you know, do we feel like we captured the essence of that story? You know?
0: You're out in the real world, too. I feel like it's very easy to get lost in your job. And -hmm. if you have, you know, an immediate, you know, group of coworkers, maybe their world's Mm-hmm. but if you're not out in the real world connecting with real people in your yeah. community, you could easily probably lose sight of it. Yeah.
1: That. Yeah. And so that's why I really like going to these events because I mean, they just kind of keep me real, you know? Yeah. I mean, just talking to people and finding out what do you, what's going on in your life? What do yeah. you care about? What do you want to hear more about on the mm-hmm. news?
0: What do you want to yeah. see on the news? So when you think of yourself as a news consumer, what do you do? You have time? <laughs> like how do you? Oh, I mean, yeah. you. It's very important. How do you consume news? When do you do it? I th- I really think to to work in TV
1: news, you kind of have to live it and breathe it. So mm. I'm constantly consuming news, and I flip around because I want to see what everyone's doing. Yeah. So of course I see some of what we're doing on NBC and NBC Boston, but I like to see what the other channels are doing too, just to kind of compare and see if we did, is there a story possibly that we missed? I Mm -hmm. know not, you know, I should probably shouldn't say that we ever miss anything. Is there a story that they did maybe in a way that was different different angle? Maybe It was better. Maybe it was something that we can, we can learn from, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we did better, you know, but I do, I do kind of like to flip around and that includes even watching all the various networks from time to time and including cable just to kind of, get different perspectives.
0: Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. If you didn't know, I am the CEO founder and head coach at Crossroads of Fitness. And our claim to fame is the dare to eat fat loss program. I wanted to let you know that we are actively taking on new clients. I have two other lead coaches right now. And if you are interested in losing six to 12 pounds in 12 weeks, we want to work with you. We teach what is scientifically proven to be the sustainable rate of fat loss. And you can check out the links in the show notes that will take you to our program offerings on our website. You can always email me or DM me on Instagram. I am happy to enroll you as a new client. I would love to work with you. If you have any questions, let me know and dare to eat. Do you have any standout memories or experiences or interviews you did that really impacted you for how you want to, or maybe the level at which you want to hold yourself to as a news anchor? Stories that I've done or that I've seen other people do. Yeah. Or just, you know, call it career highlight. Something that impacted you.
1: Well, you know, a lot of stories, this, this sounds cheesy, but, you know, a lot of the stories that I've done have really changed me. But I think when i did a series on human trafficking the year before last and meeting survivors of human trafficking that really you know it shook me and i i didn't feel right for weeks you know i just emotionally i was so disturbed because you know i could identify with them you know as a woman you you could kind of put yourself in your in their shoes and imagine the horror that they had to experience but the thing about being a storyteller, being a journalist is that you kind of have to put yourself in someone else's shoes to tell a good story, to tell their story the right way. So I had the opportunity to interview a couple of survivors of human trafficking and they got really real about all the abuse that they suffered and, you know, all the trauma and pretty graphic. And I had to tell their stories because mm. that that was the world needed to know what yeah. kind of suffering was out there and that there's something that we could do about it but it definitely was something that shook me to my core as a woman it shook me to my core and you know whenever I see any stories related to that I I can never think of it the same way really yeah
0: Wow. That's got to be really heavy. And honestly, the way you just kind of describe that and visualizing you talking to these survivors and these really intimate conversations, it almost to me seems like, you know, even just hearing and listening to someone to tell it is a form of activism. Mm. You know, it really makes me think of that because you're you're making a difference by bringing something to light that maybe wouldn't be and Mm. nothing can be done to change it.
1: Mm.
0: And I think that that's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, and the thing is that something can be done to change it. And I feel like, you know, as newscasters and journalists, that's kind of what our purpose is. Let people know what the issues are so that maybe they can change it. Mm.
0: What do you think is the hardest part about being a journalist when it comes to remaining fair and balanced? Like what is it for you? Do you think you're just your moral compass is just pretty good and it's pretty easy for you or have you had to really do anything specifically to keep yourself mindful of like when you might sway one way or the other?
1: You know, I think you always have to kind of check yourself. I do. You know, I always just constantly try to ask myself am i seeing both sides of this i think with politics over the years even even how how heated it's been in recent years you know i think it's almost become second nature to me to to really try my best to see mm-hmm. both sides just because you're you're always trained to do that as a journalist, mm-hmm. and I really out of habit, even at Thanksgiving dinner, I really stay out of political conversations for that reason. Or, or if I do get involved, I try to present each side. And people laugh at me, yeah. who are my friends and family, because <laughs> I I still you know like to have that separation. I don't want I don't want partisanship to become part of me. I want mm-hmm. to be I want it to stay balanced in that way. But definitely, when it comes to stories about crime, it, it's really hard. You know, obviously, in our system, you're innocent until proven guilty. But absolutely, there's some crimes that are so horrific that you, and you feel in your gut just just so disturbed, mm. and your and your stomach turns. And, and when I'm reading these stories and delivering these stories, it absolutely does get to me at times. And and you know, sometimes it is it, it it can be more of a struggle in those cases to see the side of the uh, suspect yeah. and really fairly, I guess, portray their side of the story.
0: Mm-hmm. That would be really difficult. And also, when it comes to social media these days, and all of the outlets that we have access to beyond just turning on the TV, like. Like when I was a kid, you just turn on the TV and you watch the news. You know, there's ways that stories maybe leak or things like I don't even want to use the term, but essentially I'll say incorrect news maybe because it's a, it's something that's on somebody posted on Instagram or whatever. So how do you see social media fitting into the bigger puzzle piece of journalism and your career? Because I'm sure that there's really big benefits to it but there's also you know changes
1: yeah I mean you know I social media is something I think we just have to embrace and I actually love social media because it's it's a way where instantly you hear from the viewers you know mm. and you can you get their feedback but it definitely is just something that is increasingly becoming more of what we do as newscasters you know it it's we're not talking at people. Hopefully, you know what I mean. We, I feel like we're yeah we're sharing with the viewers, but we also get stories from viewers. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that's I think especially for for NBC Boston and New England Cable News, that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on is having viewer generated stories. So getting those that's tips cool. and getting the viewers to call in and share stuff that is happening in their community, good, bad, ugly, mm. and a lot of times we find. The stuff is newsworthy. So, with social media, it's that interface, that interchange, that interaction mm-hmm. is natural. So, I, I think it's a really good thing. I think it's a positive thing. It, it can be a positive thing. Obviously, they're negatives, mm-hmm. but it's just a different way. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, I think it's cool.
0: Well, that's good. I think part of my, I would say, journalism education, if you will, at Miami University was talking about the death of the journalist in some respects mm-hmm. on certain mediums but then or platforms but then the kind of robustness that a journalist could experience with being able to record something that's happening right in front of them on their phone or from anywhere mm-hmm. so there's definitely like you know major upside to it. And I appreciate your perspective. And it sounds like it's definitely a part of your everyday life now. So I would love for you to walk the listeners through like what a day in your life looks like right now. Oh my God. With all of the things you're doing. (laughs) You're so funny. Like how much detail? (laughs) As much as you can. I mean, are you still getting up super early? Like how do you fit in the events that you do plus personal life plus, you know, I have to imagine half of all the things you have in your calendar, like just scheduling things takes time. <laughs> oh,
1: <you're so> funny. <laughs> well, I do wake up super early, so I I, I wake up like three a.m. and I tend to, you know, I have my my three rescue dogs. I let them out you oh. know, early and all that stuff. I have to take them for their little walk and feed and breakfast and all that stuff. You know, I try to get the workout out of the way first thing in the morning. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I my workday starts at five a.m. My first live report is usually 6am and then often do another one at 6.30. Those would be for NBC Boston. And then from 7 to 10, anchor a live show on New England cable news. And then noon, go anchor on NBC Boston for half an hour. And then in between the, the newscasts and for, I guess for the rest of my day till probably 1 or 2 p.m. depending on the day, just kind of looking for other story segment ideas mm. and interview guests and so forth and booking those and writing up those interviews and looking for the, the visuals to support them and then just trying to coordinate those with like producers mm. and editors and everything else. So yeah, I mean, it definitely gets busy.
0: <laughs> so when do you wrap up You know your official job as a newscaster?
1: Like 1, 2 p.m.
0: And then you kind of have, quote unquote, the rest of the day, but like, let's not forget you've been up since three o'clock to do the other things, whether it's working with rescue dogs or other philanthropies. What time do you go to bed? So I
1: go to bed like 7 p.m. every night. I'm...
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a dork, but I need my eight hours, you know? I always wonder about that because to your point of having your own normal morning, despite the fact that you, you know, have to be on at five. I've been teaching workout classes at 5am. And the first couple of times I did it, I would do the whole like, okay, coffee, run out the door. But then because I have other jobs, my day never stopped after five, you know, the day keeps going. And so I realized that I wanted a regular day, so I started getting up at three thirty on the, the days I teach at five a.m. and I find it really challenging to get to bed by seven. I was ready last night by seven, but I, you know, it's it's like in a good world eight or eight thirty, and then like recently nine. But I, it's it's tough. So it, and I only do it two days a week now, but every day would just be challenging. So I, uh, based on my experience, I would love to know like what are you like on the weekends <laughs> because it's a hard transition sometimes. Like I feel drunk if I stay. Up till like eleven or midnight on a Friday, even if I'm not drinking, I'll feel, I like, feel
1: the same way. It's like a tired drunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I I experienced that too. I mean, I mean, you can still have a social life going to bed at seven p.m. That's true. You know, you can. Yeah. It's maybe on a Friday night, depending on how how I'm feeling, how much energy. You know, I could I would just like go out with some friends. You know, have a couple drinks and some and some food somewhere, but. Not like a crazy club night on yeah. Friday, <laughs> yeah.
0: you know. I'm just well because um, you're probably getting up Saturday to go do a run or MC something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do, I do a lot of that stuff. But I mean, that stuff is fun to me. I, yeah, I, I like right it. In your life. You know. Yeah. yeah. So I think you know, that's kind of been the key for me. And mm-hmm. everyone has their own way of doing things. But for me, as long as in my spare time the stuff that I'm doing I actually like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel tiring. It feels energizing.
0: I love that. And I think that people need to hear that because I think a lot of times with fear of starting something new, or as I like to say on the podcast, daring to move, there's the like, what if it's hard? What if it stresses me out? What if it's just more that I can't handle, but like you're just painting such a great picture of how like you used the word synergy earlier, that it's kind of just adding a certain energy to your life that is like harmonic in some ways. So, I love that. Well, yeah, I, I, I try to. <laughs> I try my best. Well, I'm sure the listeners would want to know, you know, how do you balance it all? Is there anything that you do? Like, I'm looking at your planner right now. You are seemingly similar to me where you have to write it down by hand. Mm-hmm. I, do I do cross check myself with, like, I think I have some, like, the very important things in my phone, usually because, like, if I forget the address, then it's in my phone. But, you know, what is it about you, whether it's I don't know, like I interviewed a movie producer who has to do a crossword puzzle every night to stay sane. you know, like any weird ticks about you that that you have in your life that's just part of a ritual for you that keeps you you know focused, not forgetting things
1: doing it all well i am like i am definitely old-fashioned i have one of these (laughs) these crazy planners like with a really what does this say pathway some beautiful paths can't be discovered without getting lost which is like (laughs) which is so me i'm just you know i'm kind of philosophical and kind of a cheese ball and it has some i love that it has some like you know, picture of a meadow with trees and a blue Mm. sky, but, and it has my scribble scrabble all over the inside. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of old school like that. I just write notes to myself and Mm -hmm. write everything down. And yeah, I mean, that's, you know, just try to stay organized. Yeah.
0: So when I, I've listened to a couple, oddly enough, Navy SEALs talk about what keeps them on point or organized or not necessarily organized, but they talk a lot about Like pressure, intensity, Mm -hmm. fear for a lot of them is like a really good one that keeps them on their toes. And this one guy, I believe it was the guy who killed Osama bin Laden said, as soon as I lost the fear, I lost my edge and I didn't feel like I should stay you know, in that job. And I spoke with a writer, actor, producer the other day. And she said that when they would count down five, four, and then the three, two, one, be quiet, like that would just get her like so amped up. And so I'm curious, what does that for you in your life? Do you thrive in that type of energy or space or is like every morning for you? Is it kind of that like giddy feeling?
1: So being on live television, it's Hard to ever just take it for granted, you know. I mean, I think, I think you are conscious. Like, I am on live TV. Mm-hmm. I better not screw up. You I know what I mean? People
0: freak out when it's like happens once in their life, and it happens to you every week. Well, I mean,
1: like anything in life, the more often you do it, the easier it gets. I mean, mm-hmm. like if you had me pilot an airplane, I would be having <laughs> a meltdown, yeah. panic attack. But pilots do it every day.
0: That's a good but, point. That's good I, point.
1: But I think there's still you know, I think in in a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of people in a lot of professions experience this. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor working on in a life and death situation. My goodness, I experience the same mm. thing. I mean, you think about firefighters, you think about police officers. Who are responding to life threatening situations. I mean, they have this fear of you know failure. Mm. What are the consequences if I fail? And honestly. I always have that fear in the back of my head. What if I mess up? What if I do something wrong? Because I'm on live TV. Everyone's gonna see it. But at the same time, you know, we joke about this stuff in TV news. Well, we make a mistake, no one we didn't kill anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so, you know, I think putting it into perspective, like, no, I'm not, I'm not a firefighter. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a pilot. I, you know, I'm just delivering the news. I'm doing it the best I can, mm-hmm. and it's a great honor to do it. I take it very seriously, but you know, I I can't get too you know comfortable or I can't. You can't be so self-important and think, my God, that this is like yeah. a life and death situation because it's not. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean, that I mean, of course, with a couple of exceptions, right, where you're delivering breaking news that could, could potentially really, yeah. save someone's life. Okay, get out of the way. There's a tornado or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, but, but we just, you know, we do the best we can. But absolutely, a fear of failure is always in the back of my mind. And I think you're right. That drives that drives people to actually do their best. Like be
0: on, yeah, Mm -hmm. perform. And thank you for sharing that. I know you you mentioned, you know, I don't want it to be all about me or, you know, I don't want to be so self-important, but to a lot of people, and this might just be, I don't know, the, the house I grew up in, but the news was just... A theme in the background of our lives. It was always on my parents, my aunt and uncle, my mom, like everyone always had the news on. Like it was almost as predictable as morning coffee is for me now. You know, you wake up, you go downstairs to the kitchen, my grandma has the news on, things like that. And I have this like almost emotional response now if I see a flashback to Tom Brokaw because he was just somebody I saw all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's right or wrong, he to me is a leader. So I'd love to know what leadership means to you.
1: Hmm, well that's a great question. You know, I I always say you can't be a leader without followers. So I think about That's really good. So but but just because you are like, Oh, I'm I'm a leader, I'm in charge, you know, people aren't gonna be like, Oh yeah, I'm I'm with her or him mm-hmm. What am I doing for others that Makes them want to have my back basically or listen to what I have to say, mm. so in the workplace, one of the things you know it's not you know yeah, I'm on camera, but I have a great team you know of producers and writers and you know director running the camera and you know guys working in the audio department, making sure that the microphones are working and everything else so I mean I behind the scenes, I really try to be a good team player with them and and help them, and and I find the more I help them, the more they help me but with the viewers, you know, I feel like it's it's the same relationship. I've got to always realize I'm serving them and I'm here to serve them. I'm here to share with them the information that they need to know and that they care about and also be open if they want to share stories with me that maybe we should be covering mm. or or maybe they want to tell me, "Hey, why aren't you covering this?" or "Why did you cover it this way? You should have" you should have mentioned this detail, or you shouldn't have said this. You know, I have to be open to that and just know I'm there to serve them. So yeah, I mean, to me, that's kind of what what being a leader is, is knowing that I can only make an impact if I listen to those that I'm, I'm supposed to be, I guess, I feel odd to say leading.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really great answer. I haven't actually heard it explained that way before. And it makes so much sense. And in some ways, it's teamwork. And in other ways, it's just accepting the fact that you are in a position where people are looking up to you and responding with grace and an understanding that you're serving them. And I, like, I feel like that was very, very well said. So I don't know. <laughs> so thank you. I'd love to know what you're looking forward to right now. Tell the listeners, you know, whether it's your philanthropies, things you're active in, just general things in life. I'll say something silly. I am
1: still – I finally finished season six of
0: Game of Thrones. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Okay, I full disclosure started season one again last night because I feel like I'm missing out on the world. So, had you seen? Have you seen all of it? And then you started? Back no, I one? see. Watch season one. <laughs> forgot about it. It's nine it. years ago. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, just if you haven't been past season one, don't be horrified because it gets better. Okay. It's not. Yeah, season one is kind of pornographic and yeah. X-rated, <laughs> and whatever, and super violent. It does get better. But I don't know why I brought up that.
0: So you're excited, but you're excited. You're excited <laughs> that you are you have time to watch that. And that makes me happy. Oh my gosh. I joke that I crush content and it's been coming in handy because I keep meeting people that are somehow in the Hollywood or entertainment business. And I like can actually have a conversation. Because mm, yeah. there was a time in my life where I didn't watch any TV. We
1: don't, well, yeah, no, no, I, I, yeah, I think I went through that too. But I don't know. That's probably a funny thing to say about being so. Well, that's
0: like, that's your weird tech. That's but- the thing. No, but, I, but I, like,
1: I I try to like, I don't know, like with the, all the Avengers movies, I haven't watched all 22 Avengers movies, but I have <laughs> to get myself ready for Endgame because I still haven't seen Endgame.
0: Uh, so speaking of things you're excited about and the fact that you have a lot going on, like a lot in your life, but in a good way, when you think about success and you think about where you want to end up someday. Is there anyone specifically in your life that's inspired you and maybe if there is, like share what advice they gave you?
1: Well, I actually listened to the Dalai Lama books on tape a lot and have read a lot of his writings and you know, I think just having that perspective in terms of, you know, what it is to just be a human being mm. and be a good human being and understanding your place in this huge world. I mean, that is really important for me. And it's inspiring for me, because it kind of just keeps me going. And it kind of just makes me think, okay, I'm just one person in a big world. But if I do my part, the way I'm supposed to do it, if I do that, well, maybe it can make a positive impact. So for me, it, it, it's inspiration. And it also kind of keeps me, you know, in check, because Sometimes I get anxiety, like a lot of people do, like about my job, right? About am I doing well enough? Am I doing everything I need to do? I'm on live television every day. Sometimes it can be pressure. But one of the interesting things that I've learned by listening to the Dalai Lama is that a lot of those sorts of feelings basically result in being self-centered, thinking too much of your own importance. Mm. And when I realize, okay, you know what? I'm really just one little person in a big, big world and a big, big universe with so much else out there, then it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I guess I should not be so worried about me, 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 and and whether I am good enough as long as I'm a good enough person and trying my best to make positive impact.
0: That was a really, really inspirational answer, and I say that because It's so easy to get caught up in Instagram and how many likes you get or if your picture's good enough or you know, who who's who and you know that's just the world we live in nowadays. And I was gonna say when you mentioned when you said Dalai Lama, I was like, Wait, I that seems like the perfect balance for I think any millennial really, but everyone that's going through something where there's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. because you put it on yourself, 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 and you're right, at the end of the day. If you're worried about how you look in something or how you look on camera or whatever, it's just more again going back to this idea that you are so important and obviously we are all very important people. We all matter. But again, everyone, there's so, so many people. So I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's the first time I've ever had an answer like that. <laughs> so thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Thanks for coming thank and you. meeting me. And I love learning about this. The the journalist in me is kind of giddy to not know all the scoop now. So thank you for that. I always put notes in my, like a little blurb below the episode with like you know, a summary and where people can find you, but I believe that people need to hear it as well. So if you could just tell people how you wanna be found, whether it's Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever you'd like to share. So my Twitter
1: is just Joy NBC Boston. My Facebook is Joy Lim NBC Ten Boston. My Instagram is Joy Lim Perfect.
0: Thank you for sharing. If you guys are putting up your preach hands and nodding your head yes to things that are said either out of my mouth or out of my interviewee's mouths, and you so, so, so relate, we would absolutely love to see you post about our podcast in your Instagram stories. Please also comment on our Instagram dare to move podcast posts. If you do a post in your stories three times and you comment on one of our podcast posts and you give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are using, we will be rewarding one lucky person every month with a $100 gift card to Amazon. Your comments, your feedback, your critiques, and your reviews are so helpful to us. So, thank you for those of you who have done them. And please, please, please help us out if you are enjoying our content. It helps us out when you share it with your community and when you tell iTunes that we're doing a great job. So please comment, please share on Instagram in your stories, please comment on our Dare to Move podcast post and we will enter your name into a drawing for a hundred bucks. Easy money, guys. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you wanna connect, you can reach me, At Garrett N. Wood on Instagram or the podcast Instagram at Dare to Move Podcast. Imagine that. I hope you have an amazing day. And just so you know, our podcast is where we explore all the productivity hacks business scaling tools, and unique characteristics and personality traits of entrepreneurs leading the way in the portfolio lifestyle. Get inspired, gain actionable steps, and feel like you're connecting with genuine people who are making an impact all by way of careers which they designed. And that being said, if you are someone doing any of the aforementioned, I would love to have you on the show. I obviously explore my network and reach out to the people I know, but I want everyone to have an opportunity, so do not hesitate to reach out and request an interview and let me know if you know somebody who you think would be really exciting for the Dare to Move podcast to interview. I hope you have an awesome day and as always, dare to move.